to uh, turn to the very first book of the New Testament, which is Matthew. And we're going to be looking, um, as we kick off this series, at Matthew chapter 6. Because uh, as we mentioned uh, earlier, Alex and I, we're kicking off today this new six-part series, The Money Secret. And as you know, uh, throughout this whole year, we've got this theme, Every Giant Must Fall. And uh, this series, we really felt was the first thing we needed to tackle because we know that money for some people is such a massive giant. And so what we're going to be exploring over these six weeks is how to become financially free. Does anyone in the house want to feel that they're financially free? Yeah? Are you going to be with me today? Is anyone out there today? Cool. Great. And... uh, So that's what we're going to be looking at. And as Alex mentioned earlier, in the words of those great philosophers and songwriters, Abba, who sang, all the things I could do if I just had a little money. Money. Absolutely. Great band, great song. I saw this other poster a little while ago that said this, money can't buy me happiness, but I'd rather cry in a Ferrari. (laughs) Maybe some of you can identify with that. The reality for most of us this morning is our biggest challenge is not about whether we have a Ferrari. That's not what our money challenge is about. For many of us in the house this morning, our challenge is, like, do we just have enough to live and to live well? You know, I know that there are some people, you know, part of this church who, like, even in these last months, even in the last few years, have grappled with, do we have enough money just to pay the bills? Do we have money to to put food on the table to have even just some new clothes or to replace clothes that are worn out? And and that may not be your position. You may may not be in a position of scarcity. Maybe you're in a position of sufficiency or abundance. But even that puts you in a great challenge that, that when you're in a place where actually money feels okay for you at the moment, this series is still going to provoke you about how you are using that money in a way that brings glory to God. Money is a massive challenge in our culture today. Um, I discovered that last year, the Citizens Advice Bureau received an average of 2,464 debt inquiries every day. That's nearly a million people who last year were contacting the CAB because they are in dire straits when it comes to their finances. And so it's no surprise that that money is one of the leading causes of marriage and relationship breakdown because the pressure that comes with this stuff is absolutely huge on people's lives. And and so like we've got to tackle this giant. And this giant is a global giant. It affects us, but we know all over the world... There are challenges for people who are struggling with the issue of money. Many people far, far worse off than ourselves. And what God is going to speak to us about in this next six weeks is about us, but also about them and the responsibility we have to see good news break out for all people. Where do we start when it comes to this question of becoming financially free? And we're going to start here, the Bible. Because in May 2012, the uh, Forbes magazine printed an article that asked this question. Is the Bible the ultimate financial guide? Is the Bible the ultimate financial guide? The Bible, this ancient text, not a book. The word Bible is the word biblios, and it literally means library. The Bible is a library of 66 books 
written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors. And if you want the best way of describing the Bible, which is not, by the way, um, an instruction manual, it does instruct us and it will instruct us in the weeks to come about how we live our lives. But actually, what the Bible really is, is God's living story. Everyone in the world lives by a story, the story that they think is the, is the way to be happy and to be fulfilled and content. And what the Bible presents to us is the real story of what's going on in the world. The Bible tells us that we were lovingly created by a, by a loving God who created us to be in relationship with him. And as we're in that relationship with him, we were created to thrive in every single part of our lives, including our finances. And as we join in that relationship, he invites us to join with him to see the whole of his creation thrive, us, other people, the whole of his creation thrive and join with what he's doing. To be good stewards of everything that he's given us and to see his harmony, his wholeness, his peace explode throughout the whole of creation. But of course, when you look around the world today, like you don't need to look too far to know that people are not thriving in the whole of their life and particularly in their finances. And maybe that's you today. And so what we're going to be looking at over the next six weeks are some giant killing, life-changing biblical principles that if we are courageous enough to apply these principles to our life with faith, then we believe that all heaven could break loose. And who would love all heaven to break loose in their finances? Okay, is everyone with me to say? Great. Now, so before we dive in, let me just say two things, first of all. And if you are here this morning, or if you're listening to this recording on podcast, or you're watching it on YouTube, and, and you are in trouble when it comes to your finances, let me just say this. There is nothing to be ashamed of. There is nothing to be ashamed of. Like, we all know that there are seasons of life when we all can go through financial hardship. Some of that financial hardship is because of things that have happened to us. Maybe we've lost our job. And sometimes, folks, that financial hardship is because we've made some bad decisions. And we're living with the consequences of those bad decisions. If, if that is you this morning, let me, let me tell you, you're in really good company. Because we've all made bad decisions. I have made bad decisions when it comes to my finances. All of us have done that. And the good news today, that what I hope you feel over this whole series, is that God is not here this morning to condemn you and accuse you. God is not in the business of condemnation and accusation. He's in the business of liberation. God wants to set you free today. God wants to set you free. That's the first thing I want to say. And the second thing I want to say is this, which follows the first, is things can change. Can you nudge the person next to you and just say, things can change? Things can change. They absolutely can change. Your past decisions do not determine your future destiny when God's involved. When God is involved, anything is possible. What did I just say? Anything is possible. When God is involved, anything is possible. And we believe and we'll discover over these six weeks a God who wants to prosper you. A God who wants to bless you for your own good. And also for the good of others. We are called to be a river, not a reservoir. The good news is good news to us, and then it's good news through us. Amen? God wants to prosper you. 
Someone once said, when is the best time to plant a tree? Answer, about 30 years ago. When's the second best time? Today. Today. And so I want to say over some people here, today is the day to get back in control of what you felt out of control on. Today is the day as you come into line with what God has for you and by faith to see that this giant's going to fall, that everything can change and anything is possible. Is anyone with me this morning on this whole thing? God wants you to be financially free, which is why you may be surprised to know the Bible talks about money more than almost any other subject. So there are about 500 verses around prayer. There are about 500 verses around faith. There are over 2,300 verses in Scripture about how we handle money and how we handle our possessions. Jesus himself, out of the 38 parables, the stories with a purpose that he told, stories with a meaning, 16 out of the 38 of those parables are all about how we handle money and how we handle possessions. In fact, again, if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four biographies of Jesus' life, what you'll discover is Jesus talks about money almost more than any other subject. And why is that? Why is that? And the answer is, as we'll discover, because money has the capacity to have a hold on you like almost nothing else does. There is something about this money thing that can grip us like like nothing else. It can, it can grip us with fear and anxiety. It can keep us awake at night like other things can't. And we'll see that in a moment. So if you've got Matthew chapter 6. Matthew, as I said, is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. And so he, he followed Jesus around. And what we have captured in Matthew's gospel is what Matthew observed and heard about things that Jesus said and things that Jesus did. And in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, we get the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he is talking about how we live life God's way in a whole bunch of areas. And in the verses that we're going to look at, which are verses 19 to 34, it's going to be in the area of our finances, our possessions, and the worry that we can feel if we don't allow God to be Lord in these areas. So, uh, so if you've got a Bible, uh, you can see it's on the screen, but if you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to look at the Scriptures well, maybe underline it. I'm going to say some things that I want to encourage you to write down. So get a pen out, get your phone out. I've got some little hook sentences that are going to help you today. So here we go, uh, starting in verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin can destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven for where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now let's just pause for a second. How many people have ever heard of that phrase, he who dies with the most toys wins? Has anyone heard that phrase? He who dies with the most toys wins. Uh, No one really knows who said it, but it's popularly attributed to Malcolm Forbes, who's the owner of Forbes magazine, who I gave the quote of earlier. And of course, the philosophy behind that mantra is simply this, that life is about the accumulation of stuff. To win in life, to do well in life, it's all about having, it's all about getting. Lucrative jobs, luscious looks, 
smartphones, cool clothes, big houses, amazing cars, all of that stuff. Those are the toys, and the winners in life are those who get the most of those things. Of course, when you pause to think about that mantra, he who dies with the most toys wins. If you die, that stuff's going to be no good to you whatsoever, is it really? Let's face it, because you can't take it with you. And so what Jesus is saying here, he, he's challenging that whole mantra. He, he's saying that that simply is not true. Not only if you accumulate all this stuff, can you not take it with you, but we all know that stuff breaks, it fails, it falls. Like None of that stuff is reliable. What you treasure, what you treasure, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. And so what Jesus is saying here is... If your ultimate priority, if your primary focus in life, if you think that the answer to all of your problems, number one, is money and possessions, you will be disillusioned, you will be disappointed. If you think that's it, if that's your treasure, if that's what you're looking to as the answer to everything you need, then things are going to be hard for you. They're going to be dark. It's going to be difficult. In this life, and you can't carry it to the next. So Jesus invites us to see things differently, to to not put money and possessions as the priority, as the number one answer to the needs in our lives. If we look at verses 22 to 23, he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So Jesus is saying, look, We need to see these things differently. We need to see it's all about our eyes, the way you see things. And so we live in a world where the world says the way to be fulfilled is to have money in the mantra of Abba. All the things I could do if I had a little money or that other song that says money makes the world go round. That's the way we see things. And Jesus is saying if you see things that way, life will be dark. Life will be hard. If you come to that conclusion. Now let me be really clear before we move on. Jesus is not saying that you don't need money. Jesus is saying that if you think that money is the primary answer, is where you put your heart, your priority on, to what you need in life, then life is going to be difficult. Jesus is saying it's okay to have money, just don't let money have you. Some of you need to write that down. It's okay to have money, just don't let money have you. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and just say to them, it's okay to have money, just don't let money have you. The more you speak it out, the more it goes in. So the Bible does not say, does it? The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that. 1 Timothy 6.10, you can look at it later. 1 Timothy 6.10 It says the love of money. It's when money is your treasure. It's when it's the primary answer, your priority, what you think is the answer to all of your needs. It's when money becomes an idol, when it becomes a god, when it becomes something we worship. When it becomes like that, then it has power over us. And when it has power over us, then we're in trouble, which is why in verse 24, Jesus goes on to make this incredible statement. Look at me with me at verse 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
You cannot serve God and money. Now, the interesting thing here is that there's no place in the whole of Scripture, Old and New Testament, where God is directly contrasted with something else like this. There's no place in Scripture where it says, very specifically, you cannot serve God in your looks. You cannot serve God in your relationships. You cannot serve God in your house. You cannot serve God and your job. This is the only place because it seems that God is saying that money, more than anything else, can set itself up to be a small g God, something that we worship, something that we look to, something that competes with God in a way that nothing else does. And so Jesus presents a choice to us. You are either looking to God as your source of supply and provision, or you're looking to money. Neither of those can jointly hold. They can't jointly hold first place. You cannot serve God and money. Either you will give allegiance and power to God, or you will give your allegiance and power to money. And whatever you give power to will control you. Whatever you give power to will control you. Whatever is number one. And so, so think about that. You know, I'm sure you've met people and, uh, and their number one priority in life is, is a particular relationship they're in. And like everything in their life is about that relationship. They will do anything to make that relationship work. And so that relationship becomes controlling. The other partner knows it. So they control that person. They manipulate that person for their own aims. Because whatever you give power to controls you. Am I making sense? And so money will control. So, so now you're thinking, well, hold on, Matt. Why would I want God to control me? If I put God first, why would I want God to control me? Why would I put him in that position? Well, Jesus answers that question in the next verses, 25 through to 32. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans, which is a word literally meaning those who don't know Jesus. They run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them, knows that you need them. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that the reason that you should put God first, the reason that Jesus should be the answer to all of your worries, the reason that Jesus should hold pole position in your life, be, be, be who you primarily look to, is because God loves you. Because God cares for you, because God wants to take care of you, because God has good things for you, and he alone is the ultimate provider. He alone can provide for you in a way that nothing else can. If, if you've got some money on it at your moment, and you got it out, and you looked at a £5 note, a £10 note, or a 10 pence piece, if you look at that thing, let me tell you, that thing does not care about you. 
Of course it doesn't. You think that's stupid. But God does care about you. He cares deeply about you. And he promises. Everyone say promises. God promises to take care of you. He promises to take care of you. God is not poor. God is not limited. God is not powerless. First Chronicles chapter 29, 11 to 12, uh, the writer says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. You are the source of our supply. In Hundreds of years later, the Apostle Paul is, in a, is a, in, in a prison cell and he writes to a group of Christians in a place called Philippi. Remember, he's in a cell. And he says in Philippians 4.19, My God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. We're going to be digging into Philippians 4 in a few weeks because it's where he's talking about. He knows what it is to have loads of money and he knows when it is to have no money at all. And in the midst of that, he says, but I've become content because I know that God will supply my needs. One of the very names of God right back in Genesis 22 is is that God is called Jehovah Jireh, God my provider. It's who God is. It's not just that like provision is something that God does. God is a provider. He cannot not provide. It flows out of his very nature. He is God, our provider. And then the psalmist, Psalm 84, 11, promises this amazing thing. For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. Read this next bit with me. It says, the Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. The Lord will not withhold any good thing for those who do what is right. Again, what's the scripture saying? God wants to bless you with good things. He wants to bless you from good things. But notice it says, those who do what is right. And so over the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at some principles from the Bible that can bring and allow God's blessing, God's goodness, God's financial favor, God's financial freedom to flow into our lives. And if we say yes to those things, and if we apply those things to our lives, God promises us that we will experience the benefits of those. What you sow, you reap. Amen? We'll talk about that principle a little later in the series. It's a little bit like this. So here is my uh, Zio umbrella, people. Very nice, eh? So let's say, and I'm I'm not superstitious, so let's say that uh, I'm in town, it's pouring down with rain. And, uh, and I've got my Zio umbrella, and someone comes up to me and says, Oh, Matt, I'm getting soaked. Like, can you help me? And I'm like, of course I can help you. Come under my Zio umbrella. And then they say, I can't stand that name, Zio. That's a crazy name. There's no way. Have you got another umbrella? And I'm like, no, this is the umbrella I have. Come under the umbrella, and you'll be dry. And then they'll say, Matt, you are a terrible friend. If you were a good friend, you would provide me with an umbrella. I have provided an umbrella. It's this umbrella. Come under this umbrella and you will remain dry. You are a terrible friend because I don't want to come under that umbrella. I want my own umbrella. Would you fix it for me? Is everyone hearing what I'm saying? And that, my friends, is how we can be with God. God 
comes up and will reveal to us over this series some principles where he's saying, if you come under the umbrella of these principles, if you live your life and if you apply these things, then you will be protected and you will prosper. But if you don't, then don't blame God if we face consequences that he never wanted us to consequence here, uh, face. Is everyone hearing me this morning? You understand what I'm saying? That will be the challenge. And it will be a challenge to us, friends. It will be a challenge to us. Like this series is going to touch some nerves for some of us. There's no doubt about it. I have personally, like next week, the, the teaching that I've done, uh, that prepare for next week, it has massively challenged me. I've, I, as I was preparing this whole series months and months ago, I had to do some things differently, which I'll explain next week as a result of the preach that I'm going to do next week when it comes to my finances. So, so our principle today is, is simply this, principle number one for freedom, for any financial freedom, for freedom in anything, is simply this, put God first, serve God first, trust God first, ultimately as it says on the screens, principle number one of financial freedom is what? God first, nudge the person next to you, what is it? God first. That's it, friends. It's God first. That is the heart behind the revolution. If God is your treasure, if God is what you long for, if, if, if you dare to put your life in God's hands, then God promises to take care of you. He promises. And that's how these, this little sermon finishes that Jesus shares in verse 30, 33 to 34. Verse 33 Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom, i.e. God first, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is saying, just put, you know, yes, you've got worries. Yes, there are things that you're concerned about. Those things are legitimate. It's not that those things are not important, but seek God first. Put God first. Trust God first. Let him be your consuming passion and trust that he will take care of you. There's a quote from the Blessed Life book that I hope you'll grab a copy for your household. Robert Morris says this, If God is first in your life, everything will come into order. If God is not first, nothing will come into order. Your marriage, your health, your finances, your family, your job, your career, your ministry, nothing. But when God is first, and maybe the journey of our whole life of faith is is learning what it looks like, what it means to put God first, to really love him. Jesus was once asked, what's the most important thing I do in life? And he said, the most important thing is that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. How do you know that you love God? Jesus answered the question. He said, if you love me, you will obey me. You will do what I say. Not because I'm trying to manipulate you. Not because I'm trying to control you. But I want to give you life. I want to set you free. And everything that God says to us on any subject, including our finances, Everything is about bringing life and healing and wholeness. God has good things for you this morning. Is anyone in the house believing that today? Good things for you. And so you believe what we read in Chronicles, that everything belongs to God. Everything matters to God, that you matter to God. So if if your washing machine has broken down this week, then you can genuinely come to God and you can say, God... Your washing machine, God, is broken. How are we going to fix this? I haven't got the money. How are you going to do that? 
or, or if your car's broken down, or if you haven't got enough food in the cupboard. God, your cupboards are empty. Everything you have belongs to God. Trust Him to supply. Trust Him to meet the need. Now, we're going to learn that there are things we have to do. It's not all on God. There are principles to apply. You must listen, even if you miss a Sunday, to the whole six weeks of teaching. It's the whole thing together that will bring financial freedom. We apply it all. And maybe some of this just feels like a little bit crazy talk. So as I start to come into land, let me just uh, share a brief story about my mum and dad that they gave permission for me to, to share, which gives an example of this. So a long time ago, in fact, 50 years ago, uh, when I wasn't even around, and uh, my, my elder sister Sam was a baby, and uh, my, my dad got a job as an accountant in an accountancy firm in Watford. And the guy who was his boss was a Christian, and he said to dad, um, you know, I, I will kinda, I'll give you some money directly, and don't worry about the tax, I'll sort all the tax stuff out. And dad worked there for a little while, and, uh, but there were some things that didn't feel quite right about the culture, so in the end he left and he got another job in Ryslip. Not knowing that the guy who headed up that business actually never did send the tax men any money. And he only discovered that when one day my mum was at home one morning and a very official man turned up and basically said to mum that mum and dad owed £500 and unless they paid £500 to the tax office in Watford that day, the bailiffs were going to come that day and empty their house from, of furniture. Now you need to understand something about my mum and dad. Like When they were first married, like they were really, really financially strapped. Like really, really financially strapped. Money was very, very tight. So mom, obviously, she calls dad in a great panic. He, he quickly drives home from Rye Slip. And they're thinking, like, we, we don't even have 500 pennies, let alone 500 pounds. I mean, I, I don't know today, like, if some of you were suddenly presented with a bill for 500 pounds today, if you could pay it today. Imagine what that money was 50 years ago. And so dad goes down to the tax office in, in Watford. And he meets a guy who's very austere, totally non-sympathetic, really nasty and basically he says look unless you come back in a few hours then we are going to come and we will take all your furniture and even their furniture wasn't worth that so they were worried they were going to lose their house so so dad goes for a walk around Watford and he's and he just he doesn't even know how he can go home to tell mum with a young baby like we might lose our home and he's praying and and I was saying I know mum and dad all of the things that we're going to look at over this series, they've been living those principles, applying those principles, trusting God, putting God first. And, and as he's praying and grappling, he feels like God says to him, go back to the tax office. And of course, like anyone would do, like I would do, so like, there's no point doing that. The guy's like, you know, he's unsympathetic. Go back. And so he does, comes under the umbrella, does what God says. And when he goes back, he discovers that the guy who he spoke to has now left and another guy has come in for a new shift. And the guy that he now sees was totally, totally sympathetic, totally understood, immediately halved the debt there and then, and then agreed a payment plan where they could pay £10 a month for the following two years. And every week for the following two years, my mum, with Sam, baby Sam, and eventually me arriving shortly after, um, paying off that debt. God promises to miraculously provide for us. 
And there will be many other stories that we're going to share with you and many stories that you're going to read in this book that when we take steps of faith to trust God and put God first, we allow the miraculous to break out in our finances. Is there anyone in the house who needs that today? It's going to stretch us. It's going to challenge us to do things God's way. Because money has a power over us. But the good news is, as I finish, the good news is, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, he did die for our sins. The things that we do that damage us. So when we put money first, it damages us. We know it. It brings darkness and death and fear and worry and anxiety, all manner of consequences in our life. It has a power over us. And when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die to forgive us of those bad choices. But the scripture tells us that he took on all those powers on the cross, even the power of death itself, and he defeated those powers when he rose from the dead. And so if you feel that you are gripped in this giant of money, the power of this giant of money that's crippling you, I'm here to remind you this morning that the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ declares that those powers are defeated. That they're defeated. They have no power on you. They have no claim on you. And so as the worship team comes up, um, let's bow our heads just for a moment before we sing a final song. And uh, in fact, let's stand together, shall we? (laughs) Invite you to close your eyes just for a moment and just and ask yourself this question: God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? Is this is this a moment to repent? That word means change your mind. Is this a moment where you're saying, God, I realise I have thought that money was the answer, the priority, the primary place to look to for my supply. And I recognize it's important, but it's become more important than you. I, I'm sorry. Help me to change my mind, change the way I think. Are you here this morning? And, and for you, it's a choice to say, God, I put you first. Maybe for the first time to surrender your life to Jesus. The Jesus who defeated all power, forgave all sins through his death and resurrection on the cross. And so we're going to sing a song and I'm going to come back uh, in just a moment. But before we do, I just want to pray one prayer. And our our eyes uh, are closed and so no one needs to look around. But in this moment, at the beginning of this journey that we're going to take the next six weeks, if you need a financial miracle... I want to invite you right where you are to to raise your hands to God and say, God, I need a financial miracle. I need great wisdom when it comes to my finances. So I invite you right where you are to put your hands up to God as a way of saying, God, I surrender. I need a financial miracle. Thank you, Father. So, Father, Lord, as as we stand before you with our hands reaching out to you saying that we need a miracle in our finances, Father, I pray that miracles will pour out. Thank you that you're a God of grace, that even even when we mess up, even when we get things wrong, even when we don't always do what we should do, you you love giving us good things because you're kind. Father, Lord, I pray 
for the miraculous to break out, favor to break out, prosperity to break out, blessing to break out. And Lord, we want to agree in this month of February that the giant of worrying about money is going to fall in this church. And it's going to fall in our lives. It's going to fall in this community. We seek this. We seek this in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father.